This is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. We have an amazing guest today. She is an incredibly successful entrepreneur. She went from employee to freelancer to CEO of a multi-million dollar agency, which she is launching here uh, in January, which is super exciting. She is a 17-year brand and marketing veteran. She's an expert in this area and not only that, she's got a master's in business administration, certified in digital marketing, member of the American Marketing Association. It, the list just goes on and on. She's amazing. Lane Jones, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, especially after that introduction. I was I, I was listening to that and I was like, who is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you truly, you truly are amazing. And what's funny is for as long as I've known you, you are constantly going like at a million miles an hour. And it's funny because as we were just talking a couple minutes ago, I was telling you, this is the first time that I have seen you without a computer in front of you <laughs> until I realized that you're literally sitting in front of a in computer. Front of the computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you are always working. You're, you're always pushing towards that next thing because you love what you do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a rare thing. Tell me a little bit of your journey to get to this point. You have a long journey of going, well, you know what? Uh, I think I want to be an accountant to, well, I don't know about that. Like maybe I should uh, go into business. And then, and then all of a sudden you're like, well, maybe I should go to law school. And you spent two years doing that. So like, yeah. Like, yeah. you, you have run the gambit of different things and, I would love for you to tell everyone how in the world uh, did you get to a place where you are just an absolutely fantastic marketer and branding expert? Yeah, well, thanks for saying that because when you say it like that, it does seem like I have been all over the place. But the truth is, it took all that to get to where I am, to get to be that 17-year marketing and branding veteran, like you said, because what I did was, I went to undergrad and <laughs> decided to major in accounting. The only reason I picked that major is because I was good at math. That's the only reason. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have no any accountants in my family. I didn't have anyone saying, oh, you can make a lot of money as an accountant. I just did what I thought was easy. I thought I have to do these four years because my mom kicked all of her kids out of her house when we got 18. We had to either go to college or the military. <laughs> we were not staying in her house. So I had to go to college and then I figured, well, since I got to go to college, let me pick something that's easy. <laughs> and I was good at numbers. So I picked accounting. And the thing is, I, re I actually did like accounting. So what I did was my first job that I applied for after undergrad was at a bank and I was working in an investment and inside the investment bank, I started out as administrative assistant and they moved me over to the they call it the sales assistant desk. Basically, we were the internal, um, we did all the internal trades for all the stockbrokers who were out in the field for the bank. So then I started loving, you know, what I was doing with making those trades and understanding like what we had to do before when the market opened and what we had to do when the market closed. So that became interesting. So I thought I'm going to go to law school and do investment banking, do securities. Well, I did two years of law school and I hated it hated torts. I hated writing all the stupid cases. I hated it. Like it was so brutal. I had to go to the Dean twice and ask her to change my grade from a C minus to a C just so I can keep my financial aid. Like that's how much I hated it. And so I ended up. Well, at least the, at least the Dean was willing to listen to you. Cause I'm pretty sure in college when my professor called me in and she said, are you sure this is a good idea that you should be taking all of these science courses? Maybe yeah. you should rethink your major. Yeah. <laughs> see? So you've been yeah. there. Yeah. But see, yeah. it's like really positive you... experience, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to pay out of pocket for this. I need my financial aid. So I, I had to like beggar. And then like, of course I, she had to, I had to do like extra work to get the minus removed. Right. So I'm like struggling and I decide, you know what, this is worth it. Let me just transfer these credits and get an MBA. That way I don't have to lose a whole lot of credits and I can salvage some of this. <laughs> because even though I didn't actually stick with the accounting route, I still am good at numbers. That's what ended up happening. 
I ended up getting my MBA kind of so that I, by default, so I wouldn't waste all this credits in law school. So I'm like stumbling my way into what is going to work here. And so what ended up happening after law school was I started looking for different opportunities in business. And there was a, an opening at a Sylvan Learning Center in Durham, North Carolina, was hiring and she just needed someone to kind of run the day-to-day -day operations um, when she was not there in the mornings and then do all the intake for all the new parents bringing their kids. And Sylvan Learning Center, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a program where you can bring your kids after school and they get extra help with reading and math. And so um, I helped run the, 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 um, the learning center with the director who was uh, my direct supervisor was the owner of the center. So she was actually grooming me to take on, to help bring in more customers. And so I started having to learn how to do marketing as well as focus on the bottom line because why does she need more customers? Well, she, she needs to be able to pay me and she needs to pay herself and she needs to keep the lights on. So we had to get good at communicating with parents and telling them why Silver Learning Center was a good thing for them to do for after school. And so I had to get creative with messaging and she had the early stages of, of back then we didn't really do email lists we had phones. So we had, I had to make phone calls and do cold calls. So I had to get good at, um, at selling and marketing and just to get us new parents into um, the system. And then at the time I was a member of a church, it was a small church at that time, but we were growing really quickly. So I started getting real smart and talking to the parents at my church because I was helping run the children's ministry. And I would tell the parents, hey, you know this thing called Southern Learning Center? It seems like your kid would be great, you know, in, in a reading program or a math program. You should check it out. And so I started <laughs> networking during this, the children's church time and getting parents to come over to Southern Learning Center. And so that was also helping, um, you know, grow the business. And so that became like my kind of like intro into how do I pick all this business experience that I have and actually make it work for me because I'm not clearly not an accountant. I didn't want to do that. And I definitely didn't want to do securities law. So it was starting to work. And then what happened was because I was so involved in the children's ministry, the church was getting ready to hire and they needed an executive assistant. So I went to the children's pastor and I said, I'm thinking this, I'm about applying to this. And she looked at me and she said, you should apply for that because she knew what her job was. So she was like, oh my God, you'd be so good because I was already volunteering in children's ministry and helping her with the running of that. So she knew my skills and she could vouch for me. So I did, I, I applied and sure enough, I got the role, but what they actually needed more than an administrative assistant was they needed someone to run the business of the church um, that didn't have to do with the ties and offerings. So like the bookstore, we were on television. Um, they wanted to grow the television ministry from being on local networks to being on a national network. And so I got heavily involved with like the business and the operation side of, of the church. Within a year, I had taught myself graphic design because we didn't have a graphic designer that we wanted to pay. I had taken the church's themes and we went from vinyl banners that I complained about miserably. It's like, why do we have these vinyl banners? We're supposed to be like this fancy church. And then the pastor was like, don't bring me a problem, bring me a solution. So the people who complained had to do something about it. So I had to go figure out how to get nicer banners and nicer looking things. And sure enough, that's why I taught myself graphic design because I had to figure out how to make our stuff look better. So I designed our bulletins and I designed the banners. I designed t-shirts. I designed the packaging for the all the CDs we were selling. Like I just went on like a rampage of taking a theme for the year and applying it to everything we were doing. The whole reason for doing that was to get the church really excited about the theme. So every year I got better and better at doing these themes. And so five years later, we we're on television six days a week. So I'm writing all the copy and the messaging inside of the broadcast program. I'm designing the graphics that go in the beginning and the end of the program. I've got people buying our messages from the program online, which was mm. new, something new to the church back then. Um, so I got really good at figuring out what customers need and then how to package it so they'll pay for it. That's like a simplified way of, of explaining how all of this, how my brain works, and then how I've been able to like take 
the being good at numbers and putting it with what my real gift was, was being creative. And so all of these roles that I took on just brought out more and more of my creativity. And that's how I was able to put it together for myself. I love that because I think so many people nowadays, they, they start somewhere and mm -hmm. then they keep going on the beaten path and they, they keep going, they keep going, they keep going. And most times they're never willing to switch, right? Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to college. This is the degree I'm going to get. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to work it. And then one day I'll be able to retire. Now, there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there now that are jumping from one thing to the next. So we have a little bit yeah. of both. We have the people that yeah. never give up <laughs> on the yeah. things that they maybe should give up. <laughs> yeah. But then they have other, we have other people who, who never commit long enough to actually yeah. discover whether they're good at it. And so I'm mm -hmm. curious for you because it, it's, it's interesting that this creativity piece really started to evolve in your life. As you look back on your life, do you see that creativity from childhood and, oh, yeah. and being able to create and, and solve problems and those kinds of things? Yeah. And so I'm glad you said that last part of what you said, the problem solving, because um, I think it was, we were, we both know each other from Maxwell Leadership, which was John Maxwell team we both joined, but John Maxwell team had a speaker and it was Carly Fiorina. And Carly Fiorina was a speaker one year and she said, leadership is problem solving. Well, I think the same thing about creativity. I think creativity is problem solving. And I, mm -hmm. that is what I got good at. What I didn't know as a child was that creativity part of me was the appreciation for colors and patterns. I didn't know that until later on after I taught myself graphic design, because I picked up on it really quickly, right? You don't just open up Photoshop one day that's in, in InDesign and you figure out within a week how to do the bulletin. You don't do that unless there's something in you innately that can pick up on that. And so I didn't realize until, you know, further down the, the line with all of that, that my appreciation for colors and patterns was my creativity being expressed. That's where, how my brain works. Because if you think about being good at numbers, numbers have to add up and formulas have to make sense. That's exactly what the design does. Design has to look mm -hmm. a certain way to, to give you a certain feeling. There's a science to it, as well as a creativity to it. The way my brain works, I can be analytical, but also I can be really, really, really creative. And to be able to put the two together is where I shine. And that is rare, I found. <laughs> but at the same time, when I realized what was happening, I just doubled down. Rather than me sticking with that one thing, I gave myself grace enough to learn the other side of it so that I could be good at both things. Because I think sometimes, to your point, some people stick to one thing only. It actually takes discipline to do this. They don't have the discipline to open up to another side of, of, of their world. And so because they, don't, they lack the discipline or they think it's too hard or too much, they kind of shut it off. But then you also have those multi-passionate people who they have their hands in everything. I think there also takes a discipline to not do that if you actually want to be successful in business and in life. But at the same time, you you need to, it all has to has to come down to what gives you the most joy and also how can you turn what gives you the most joy into something that would sustain you day to day. Some people don't need to make a whole lot of money to live their lifestyle. Some people they want to make a lot of money. So how can you take what gives you the most joy and then allow yourself the that freedom of expression, but also the discipline that it takes to focus on it long enough to actually monetize it and turn it into something that can create and build a lifestyle for you that you're happy with. And so I had to, to figure out how my body and my brain operate, or I was going to keep being an accountant, or I was going to force my way through law school and be miserable. Um, but I had to, I gave myself a grace to say, you know what, this isn't working for me. Try, Even though it's hard, I'm going to try something else. And I'm going to give myself that grace to try. And I, I will say I cheated a little bit because my mom, my grandmother, and even my great grandmother have all been entrepreneurs. And so I say I mm. cheated a little bit because I was destined to not work for anybody too long. Like I am unemployable when you hear people say that. What they mean is 
there's only so long you got me for before I'm like, yeah, I did long enough. Let me do something else. So that's kind of in my nature to try something else. But like, that's where I know the discipline had to come in because I can't keep trying something else every day. But I double down on the whole, I'm a creative problem solving type of person. Now, who needs that service? Because I need to actually make money because I need, you know, I need to, I need to pay my own bills. I need to, you know, I, I need a car to drive. I need clothes to wear. And so um, there takes a discipline um, from, from, for you to, to understand who you are and also self-awareness. Like I said, I stumbled on this. So I'm, I'm telling you all this in hindsight. You know what I really love? You learn to give yourself grace. I think mm -hmm. so many people actually aren't good at that. I think we're really good at forgiving other people for the most part, but we're really bad at forgiving ourselves. Um, wow. You know, there was a mentor of mine a number of years ago that said, the worst judge you'll ever have in your life is the one staring at you in the mirror. And the reason for that is because you're a really bad judge. Um, wow. What you'll do is for anyone else, you will serve them up a punishment. You'll say, oh, well, you lied to me and here's the punishment that you get to serve. Here's, here's your sentencing. And so yeah. we, we're good at sentencing other people and wanting them to pay for their mistake. And when they paid for it, we go, okay. You, you paid for your mistake. We can move on. Mm -hmm. We're the only people that look at ourselves and we say, okay, here's, here's what you're going to do. And we constantly keep saying, okay, well, here's the next thing you're going to do. Oh, yeah. and here's an, you know, you're going to continue to punish yourself over yeah. and over and over because you are a really bad judge. And yeah. so I'm curious for you in your life, at what point did you start allowing that judgment piece to be taken off of you. Because I remember very distinctly, like when we first met, um, I don't know if you remember the first time we met. I have my idea of when we first met, but uh -oh. we, were at, we were at a conference and yeah. things were kind of crazy. Yeah. And you walked into a restaurant and you sat um, as far away from everyone as possible. I remember and this. I saw you and for, and for some reason I got up and I was like, I'm going to go talk to Lane Jones. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't really know each other. I walked yeah. up and I, I, I'm going up to your table and you have the menu in your face. You're like shrunk down. You're, you're trying to hide. You don't want to make eye contact with me. And any normal person would keep walking and go, she just doesn't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> no, not Nathan. Not Nathan. Nathan sat down in her booth <laughs> And started to talk to you and yeah. I proceeded to tell you uh, because I, I saw you were, you were like, you were a heavy burden. Like there was a lot on your shoulders at that point you were carrying. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, man, I just want to make you laugh. I want to bring you back to the present. Yeah. And so I started to tell you about how I put my, my foot in my mouth <laughs> with one of the guest speakers who yeah. was a prominent member of the science community. And I happened to say something that was miscommunicated and we're not going into that story because it's going to be incredibly <laughs> embarrassing and we don't want people to, you know, I don't want to be canceled it. for that story. You know what? I was thinking you should have had him as a guest. <laughs> hey, you, you get me in contact with good old Bruce and, and I will, I will definitely <laughs> do that. <laughs> but all that to say, there was a period of life, I feel like maybe, maybe even, even within the last four years, five years, where you actually started to give yourself a little more grace. Mm -hmm. You were maybe not so hard on yourself. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that journey, because I think a lot of people are hard on, this, on themselves yeah. and they don't give themselves the grace to be able to navigate this world that it really is trial and error. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. I'm glad you put that in this context because when you, when you saw me in that booth, I really was trying to eat because I hadn't eaten all day and I was trying to hide because I had seen enough people for one day. And so <laughs> we were at a conference and at the time my role in the conference was so much heavier than it had become over the over the years. I was in charge of production. Before we even got to the event, I was in charge of all the, the graphics that had to be done. I was in charge of all of the scripting and making sure the PowerPoint slides were ready. Um, so there was just a lot of work that happened before the conference. So by the time I got there, I didn't even want to be at the conference. I couldn't wait for it to be over. And then it was probably just day one by the time it was over. 
So I had to, um, you know, eat and I decided I wasn't going to eat in my room. I was going to go downstairs, but I was going to try to pretend that no one was there that knew me. <laughs> and so you saw me, you did, you, you literally saw me and you were like, oh, I see you. Let me come over here and <laughs> make you laugh. And I was dying laughing and I'm still laughing to this day about that story because it is hilarious and so I appreciate you for seeing me noticing me even though I was trying not to be but part of that was even with that pressure that I had on me even in that moment I was giving myself grace I've learned how to do that even better now but even in that moment for me to not go hide out in my for me to still sit downstairs and at least give myself a break and actually feed myself <laughs> was a moment of giving myself grace. Now, in that moment, I probably could have, if knowing what I know now about giving yourself grace, what I would have done was probably had a breakfast and, and sat down with several people, right? And just made space for me to just take a break. Because if I had just taken a break, I wouldn't have felt as, you know, stressed and overwhelmed in that moment. And so when I say to give yourself grace, especially when you're not sure if you're doing what your passion is or if or what you're doing is not giving you joy, the grace comes when you're in the middle of the hard thing and you do the harder thing. And you say, I'm going to do this harder thing, even though it's going to cost me, even though I'm going to probably look like a fool, even, even though you know, people don't know me, even though I'm going to have to ask people to do favors for me and, and, and that's not my, my nature, whatever it takes to get you to get a little bit uncomfortable and you, you saying to yourself, I'm okay because I'm doing this because I want to be better. I'm doing this to be a better version of myself. And so to be a better version of yourself often is going to require you to be the first person to give yourself grace because the world can be hard. I mean, people can be nasty. People can be short with you. People that you need to help you, they're not going to help you, right? And so if you don't give yourself grace, you know, you're good luck getting it from somebody else who doesn't know you and, and who, who you might need to help you at somewhere down the line. So if you learn how to give yourself grace and you are okay with the outcome because you're not attached to it in, that, in a way that's going to bring you down, you, you're going to say, I'm going to give myself grace. If I mess this up, I mess it up. At least I try, right? If I call this person and try to get new business and they tell me no, at least I tried. I'm going to give myself the grace because that way you can come back and say, I tried. I'm, I took a step forward in the right direction and I'm okay. I'm okay. And so I think that's where I, what I mean by giving yourself grace and even, even getting up to the point where I had to, to just double down on, on what I was going to focus on as a career. I had to give myself grace in that because I can do a whole lot of things. I can do, you know, a lot of things better than most people, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to give myself grace enough to stick with this one thing and ride it all the way out. And it has helped me work with multimillionaires. It has helped me learn how to become one. Right. And so, but, but that's, that's the focus of, uh, and the discipline that had to come along with that. I, I love how you talk about, it's not about the outcome. It's about the process. It's about mm -hmm. who you're becoming along the way, because so many yeah. people are focused on the outcome of, oh my gosh, I didn't get the client. I didn't get this job. Um, I, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this product didn't turn out correctly. The video looks awful. The logo doesn't work. The colors mm -hmm. suck, whatever it is. People are so attached to the outcome that they forget that life truly is like we talked about it. It's, it's a test of does mm -hmm. this work? And if it doesn't work, then you try it again and you do it in a different way. There's, yeah. it's so important to be process oriented versus outcome oriented. Yeah. Um, have you, have you always been focused on process, uh, throughout your life because you are that kind of detail oriented, you do like the, you know, the numbers and those kind of things. Has that always been a, a piece that's been a part of you of being process oriented, or was that something that you developed later on and maybe you were more focused on outcome? I would have to say it's probably, I developed it because I don't think I even realized how I got to this point what the parts of, 
of what I do that has made me successful, the parts that I would keep and the parts that I would toss. I would definitely toss those the times where I would focus more on, I've got to hit this income goal, or I've got to hit this personal growth goal, or I've got to hit, you know, whatever goals I've set for myself, they've usually been outside numbers based or some kind of, you know, success driven formula that I came up with, right? And so, which is, there's nothing wrong with having goals, but to your point about the process, I didn't learn to appreciate the fact that it's great to have the goal, but it's even greater to, to learn how to become the person who can sustain that. I didn't appreciate that until I learned more about how your mindset, you know, is very important to, to who you are and, and how, who you become is way more important than the things that you have. Right. What what kind of person are you? <laughs> that's the that's yeah. what's important, right? Who who do you become? And you know, it doesn't matter if you have nice things or if you, if you look nice. If you're a horrible person in the process, yeah. So in the process, I want to become the best version of myself. So I want to be more kind. I want to be more loving. I want to have more joy. And so a lot what I've taught myself over the past two to three years in particular is if it doesn't give me joy, I'm not going to do it. Does, does that give me joy? Mm. I'm not going to do it. And because I know who I am, I can I can make that judgment call because if it gives me joy, one, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> Two, I'm going to give it my best because, you know, the thing of what, in my business, especially with marketing and design, a large part of it is subjective. It's, an, it's opinionated. And so I could have way do something and turn it to a client and be and they would love it. But I know that wasn't my best, right? And so in in becoming my the better version of me, I also want to give and deliver excellence. I had to define what excellence is, still giving myself grace, not having such high standards that I I never reached them. But at the same time, I want to give my best. And so in doing that, you kind of have to to understand that you do want to make sure that you're not paralyzed because of perfection kind of thing. But at the same time, you want to yeah. be the best version of you in, in the process. And it does, it is a process. You know, we hear all the time, trust the process. <laughs> well, people tell you that it's not just a cliche. They don't say trust the outcome. You can't trust the outcome because yeah. you might not get it, but you can trust the process and the steps that it takes you to get to that outcome. I love what you say about that is you can trust the process you can't always trust the outcome because it's true. You know, it's funny because, you know, even though I wasn't, a, you know, a, a math whiz like you were, I was, you know, barely passing by the skin of my teeth when it came to math. <laughs> so anyone that knew me could have told you that. But what even even what little math I still remember to this day, I know that you you cannot go to the result and go, well, I'm just going to fudge the numbers over here and the rest <laughs> of the equation will be okay. No. It's, it's not how that works, right? No. And yet so many of us, that's, that's what we attack. We judge the result versus judging the process and where in the process it could be improved and and get better. You you talk about joy and not, not doing anything that doesn't give you joy. Right. And you know, there's, there's sometimes we have to do things that suck (laughs) or maybe that's just me more than other people. I don't know, (laughs) but but I will say there is a difference um, between being joyful and doing something difficult Mm. and doing something difficult that just absolutely does not feel like it's in alignment with you. You just finished two half marathons uh, so far this year and you're crazy because you have a couple more that are on the docket for this year. I don't know why you want to torture yourself. (laughs) I I was a runner at one point and everyone was like, you're going to get the runner's high. And I'd get like five, six miles and I'm like, I'm not getting a high. I'm just (laughs) maybe hives. I'm like, just not happy or excited about this. But there truly is a difference of understanding what is joyful, even though there's difficulty, because some Mm -hmm. people would go, this is difficult. uh, So I'm not going to do it versus I'm joyful doing this, even though it's difficult. Yeah. How do you differentiate the two? I think that's where we were talking about the process, right? And who you become as a result of going through a process. And you don't see joy immediately in the difficult thing, but you know, on the other side of it, 
you're going to have that delay. That's why you're trying to go through something. You're trying to get from where you are to where you see somewhere that you could be. In that process, you learn to see the joy in getting to the other side. And so it like the, the half marathons. The only reason I'm doing I did the half marathons was because I had gone on this whole health and wellness journey. And I, I literally was 40 pounds overweight. <laughs> you can't you couldn't tell it because I wore clothes to kind of hide it and mask it. And because I'm kind of a, a short person and small frame, so I covered it up really well. But I was 40 pounds overweight. So when I shed that 40 pounds, I was determined I was not going to get that weight back on me again. And so when I released that weight and I got rid of it, I got into the whole running thing because what I was doing to keep it off was I would walk the park and I would walk several miles, several miles. And then walking that boring on the disc profile, <laughs> accountants are more like C's, but I am more like an I. And so that creative part of me won when it came to walking because I came up, I was getting bored. So I was like, I gotta just try something else. So I just started jogging here and there. And then before I knew it, I was jogging longer and longer and longer and it felt so good. And so I did the difficult thing because I never thought I'd be, but I did think that I could keep this weight off of me. And I found the joy in doing that and doing something that I could stick with. And so that's how I got into running. And then I challenged myself and actually signed up for the half marathon so that I wouldn't back out of it. You don't just show up and run 13 miles one day. You have to train for it. And so just to make sure that I, I kept running so that I, I would not be, you know, in the ambulance falling out during the half marathon. So I kept kept at it. So it was difficult getting started and, and figuring, you know, my, telling my body, stick with this for, for, you know, a few more miles. But the joy in it is I haven't put that weight back on. I haven't, you know, I, I'm stuck with my, my wellness goals. And so that goal of, of being the best version of myself physically is what gave me the joy to do the difficult thing. Just in that example, I could see what you're saying. It is hard to do things that are difficult and say that, oh, that gives me joy. It's not so much that the, the process is going to give you the joy, but it's the, it is the goal on the other side who you become as a result of it. That's that gives you joy. You know, I love that because it's true. The process isn't always the joyful piece. Mm -hmm. um, it does become joyful at one point in your journey, right? Like in the, yeah. in the running, when you first start, it is not joyful. It, it no. is hard work. It, yes. it does not feel good. You know, yeah. your body is physically crying with every single yes. step. Like you, you can feel the, the tears yes. rolling off of your arms. Oh my God. And, yeah. But at, at a certain point though, you start to look forward to it. Like, yeah, like it's, it's funny, deep in fitness. Uh, I became an instructor earlier this year with this company and, and kind of doing some instruction stuff on the side. And um, it, think about CrossFit under the water. So like you're, you're carrying oh. weights under the water. And it's like, oh, well, don't you need air for that? And you're like, well, you get used to it, <laughs> right? It's funny because there are there are times if I haven't gone for a week or two, yeah. um, even getting in the car, I hate. Mm. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to get in the car. I don't want to drive over there. I don't want to put yes. a swimsuit on. I don't want to. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I just take every single step. Just, I keep going through yeah. this process that I've been doing for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I get done with it. I'm like, that was amazing. That was great. Yes. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? Like, I told you that, I told you that before you even left, just go yes. and get it done. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. Right. The process yep. isn't always fun. It's not always sexy, but the process is the thing that moves us closer to what it is. Yeah that we want in life. Right. Yeah. It was interesting to me, like when you talk about that journey uh, within weight, right. Because I mm -hmm. remember you coming back to an event and I looked at you, I was like, Holy Toledo, Lane <laughs> Jones, like what happened to you? Where'd yeah. you go? Like, yeah. <laughs> who, who, who stole you? Half of you was gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was funny cause I was talking to my wife, you know, before we were getting on here to talk and I, I said that and she was like, well, you can't say that. I was like, no, like I totally can because like, she's had this really awesome transformation and maybe to the outside person, they didn't notice it for yeah. you. 
you did. And I would imagine, and I'm curious for this part specifically, what was your relationship with health mm. growing up? Mm. And did that relationship change as you matured? Like, did it get worse? And then you realize that, man, maybe I need to have a better relationship with my body. This, you know, this temple mm -hmm. that God gave me, like, mm -hmm. should I mm -hmm. actually like take care of it? What was that journey like? Uh, was, did you have a good relationship in health uh, growing up? And, and how did that shift throughout your life? I don't know that I could, could say it was good. I can just say it was it just was right. So I grew up in the South. It existed. I, I, yeah, there, there was a relationship. I don't know if it was good or bad because I grew up in the South. So I grew up in Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, right? And my mom cooked almost every single night and she cooked a three part meal. We had a starch, a meat and a vegetable. And you had to eat all your food before you got up on the table. That's how I was raised. And so in if it's on your night, plate, it better be finished before you get up. Yeah, I don't care if you're five years old and this is enough food for an adult. You're going to eat all this food. And so that's how I, grew, how I grew up. And so, and then I got to the point where I actually like food. I am such a foodie. This is, the, this is why I, gave, I was pretty pounds overweight. I'm not like in denial about how I gained all my weight. I am such a foodie. Like I love food. And so, but I love taste and flavors like I can cook right and so part of the whole you were asking about about me being creative as a child part of me that creativity came out because when I was fairly young I started learning to cook my mom would teach me how to make meals and then I would put my own spin on them but because I was you know in the kitchen all the time she was cooking all this food I was eating all this food I don't know that my relationship with health was that great um I just know <laughs> I stayed out of trouble because I ate all my food I don't know if that's true, actually, because I've heard some stories about you in the library that your mother was really good friends with the librarian. And she was always oh my calling God. your mom. Who told you that? And so this is true, too. This is true, too. I stayed out of trouble at home, I should say. And when I was at school, that was something else. <laughs> 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 that was something else. So, yeah, I did have, um, <laughs> I did have. My mom had spies everywhere. We grew up in a small town and everybody knew everybody. And, and when they say it takes a village to raise a child, I think my village thought, took it seriously because I could get in trouble by somebody in the grocery store who knew my family. I could get in trouble at school because all the teachers knew my mom. And so um, part of that was because in the small town, most of the people go to the same church. So half my teachers were in the Hughes, my mom <laughs> was um, the church secretary and she was in the choir. And so like, they all knew her. They all knew I was her kid. And the other thing was my mom had seven kids. So there was five that went before me. And so all of them were known. And so by the time my sister and I came along six years after they did, um, people knew who we were. And so there was no hiding. And there was no talking in the library with Miss Webb because she would tell your mom. And so, um, I mean, I've had, I've had, I didn't have this problem, but my younger sister, you know, she actually, in our school, we, you could get a paddling back then in the South. And so teachers would whoop your butt if you were misbehaving. This was a while ago. So don't be writing into the yeah, show and telling me, know. you know, like, you, you know, this was like back in the day. This is back in the day. <laughs> this is back in the day when, you know, rulers were a thing. Yes. <laughs> not for exactly. measuring. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they were about measuring your attention and measuring. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. in the classroom existed. But that's the kind of like environment I grew up in. But when it came to health and wellness, I will say this. By the time I got to middle school, I was in any sport that would let me in. I ran on track, basketball team. So I stayed pretty active. So I didn't realize staying active, having such a very high metabolism, I needed to, like I, my body was like needing that food and needing fuel. So, but when I left my mom's house, it was totally different because I wasn't in all those sports, right? But I'm still cooking. In fact, I taught all my roommates how to cook. So we had rotation, like this is how, how bad about how, food, how much of a foodie I was. I was not going to starve, okay? So there was always money <laughs> for food. We would catch the bus to go to the grocery store. And we'd had our little grocery list and then we'd come back and I would teach everybody how to make food. And so <laughs> it's, it's tough with me through college. 
But here's the other thing. This is where it got bad. My mom also had a rule that we weren't going to eat dessert if we didn't eat all the food. And I think it was a ploy because she had so many kids to stretch dessert because not all of us got to eat dessert because not all of us would finish food. And so I hardly ever got to eat dessert because I was full from eating all that food. So when I went to college, though, I started like buying my own desserts. I was buying ice cream. I was buying cakes. I was buying donuts because I could eat this whenever I want. I don't have to finish my plate. And so I had this. You're an adult, right? I'm an adult. You kicked me out of your house. So I get to do it. (laughs) So that stuck with me, though, because to this day, Nathan, if we were to go to dinner, you, Willow, and I go out to dinner. I'm telling the while you're ordering your appetizer, I'm getting cake. I asked for the dessert menu. And it's no lie. Like you're sitting there eating like calamari or whatever, and I've got chocolate cake. And it's supposed to be like that. Like I'm I'm convinced. I'm supposed to have my dessert first. <laughs> you start and I, you start with you start with dessert and then you move to the other stuff. Yeah, then the real food. Like the other day I had um lunch with a colleague and he's like, Oh, I want the chicken croissant sandwich and yada, yada, yada. And he's telling me how good it is, right? So the waitress is listening, right? And I, I look at him and I said, I don't even know why you're telling me about the chicken sandwich. Where's the dessert menu? And he just bust out laughing because he, he knew, like he knows I eat dessert first. So why are you even telling me about chicken sandwich? So I, I ordered this dessert. Then I say to her, and I'll take a chicken sandwich to go. <laughs> I'll take the food to go, but while we're at lunch, during this short period of time, I only have enough time to eat my cake. And so (laughs) what what I've had to do, though, to do that is I've had to figure out, you know, how to stay healthy and still allow for dessert because that part isn't going anywhere. I I did good while I was losing the weight and I went to um, sugar-free stuff and I would make my own stuff at home, like what's with um, the stuff called Swerve, which is like a mix between Stevia and the Riclitol. So I did cut out the sugar while I was getting rid of the weight, but now that I've gotten it off and kept it off, I know how to eat my cake, have my cake and eat it too, and I just eat salad for day. It's all good. I, I think most people don't really understand that, you know, there is a moderation to things, right? Oh, and gotcha. you can have your cake, right? I, I think there's something to be said about being a glutton and just going all in and all you ever eat is cake. Like, don't, you know, yeah. oh, I'm going yeah. to have cake for breakfast. I'm going to have no. cake for lunch. You know, uh, yeah. you know, cake at supper time when cake is on the menu, you can eat cake every time, right? Like, that's yeah. not what we're talking about here. No, just but down there, nine there and then be... wait to down one afterwards because you're, you're not going to live long. <laughs> But there is something to be said about actually enjoying your life. You know, there are so many people like it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. And what I always like to talk about on the show is that we are trained as kids to Mm. want more, to do Mm. more, to um, achieve this and achieve that. And there's always a medal. There's always something that you're running after. And we've lost the ability just to be who we were created to be. I truly think there's a period in our childhood where there are influences that start telling us like, Hey, you know, I know this is kind of who you are right now, but you you need to grow up. Mm. You need need to go put on your, your, your big girl shoes, your big boy shoes. And you need, you need to go and and do this. I'm not perfect at at this, you know, (laughs) as a parent, cause I'm, you know, I want the best for my kids. I don't think anyone's ever going to set the standard that I want for my kids. Right. So I'm setting it there for them. However, I also have to nurture who they are and nurture um, their personality. And so I'm curious for you, you are such a visionary, like having creativity is truly, you have to have the gift of vision. You have to be able to Mm -hmm. see something in your head and be able to bring it out. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine, you know, I love how you talked about the woman at at your church who said, Hey, you're really good at this thing. Like you should, you should do this. You should be Mm -hmm. hired for this job. I'm curious maybe it was her, but I I think maybe even earlier than that, who was the first person that had vision in your life to say, Lane, by golly gee, you are so darn creative. You need to do something creative. Who was the person that spoke creativity over your life? My mom always told me how smart I was and how gifted I was. In fact, she championed that 
in me and it's what caused me to have aspiration and to, to believe in myself. Um, but she never said it was my creativity. I think it wasn't until I had become an adult, probably was at that church because that's when I started to express that part of myself. Up, up until that point, I was trying to match my degree to a job description, <laughs> right? Because I was trying to make sure that I was making some money after school, but it wasn't until I started getting into a role like that, that I even knew how creative I was. Um, knew I was good at problem solving, but not expressing the creative side of me where I'm getting into the design aspects or I'm telling you what words to say, right? Um, because a part of what I do in marketing, it has a lot to do with messaging and getting people to resonate with that. That takes a level of creativity, but also you have to think about, you have to think ahead to what people are thinking too. You have to get into people's heads. So there is some, there is some science and psychology to that, but there's also emotion to that. And so you have to tap into people's emotions when you're talking about marketing and branding. So both branding and marketing are very much emotional things. If they're going to resonate with people, you got to tap into that side of them. So I think it probably was in that church setting that I started to express mm -hmm. myself more creatively and was given an avenue and, a, and an opportunity to do it. It's interesting to me also, you know, talking about this topic of identity, you know, I, I know that you have a, a, a great relationship um, with God and that you've, you, that's like one of the cornerstone pieces of your mm -hmm. life. And I love that because, you know, there's a lot of people that are out there that don't have a relationship with God. They, they, they have a relationship with a, an institution that they mm. think is God. Yeah. And so I'm curious for you, was, was that always a relationship that you had in your life or was that something that at one point in your life, you know, like, oh man, I like, I, I didn't realize that this guy actually wants to know who I am. Like he, he actually cares about me. He actually sees yeah. gifts and talents in me, you know, in terms of creativity and being a visionary and, mm. and being able to speak life into people. Was that relationship always there or did that develop with time? The awareness was always there, but the relationship didn't come until I was an adult. Um, the awareness of who God is and that there is a God uh, was there from the beginning. Because we grew up in church. Um, again, we grew up, you know, I grew up in a small town and church was life. And so on Sundays we went to church. This is how bad it was. My mom belonged to one church that went on, to, that met on second and fourth Sunday. My dad belonged to another church that met on the first and third Sunday. So we were in two different churches every other Sunday. Both of them were deacons in the church. That meant that we had to get there early and leave late. It also meant that, um, oh, and both of them were in the choir at both their churches. Both of them were in both choirs. It was insane. And then, so we grew up in church and then um, we went to all the Bible studies. We had these things called revivals. Both the churches had different times under the year when they had revivals. Revivals were all week long things. And so um, one of the revivals, when I turned 12, <clears throat> because all my friends were doing it, I went and got baptized. I didn't know what I was doing. It was some peer pressure. It was some like trying to like look good toward my mom. Like, oh, I want to get baptized on my own. Like, you know, trying to like yeah, peer pressure has really changed nowadays, hasn't it? You know, oh my God, you know. People, peer pressure is like drugs. And back when you were like a kid, you're like, Hey, you should come get, come down to the lake and we're going to get baptized. And you're like, okay, don't tell my mom. <laughs> like, <laughs> peer pressure has changed a lot, you know, in the last uh, couple of years. <laughs> this, is this is very true. <laughs> Gosh, that's so funny because you're right. I had the good kind of peer pressure, I guess. But this is what happens when you grow up in a small town and everybody's watching you. So you kind of have to yeah. do, you only have a couple of things you're going to get away with. Um, so I did get baptized when I was 12, but it wasn't until I was 18 and I left my mom's house again. I went to another church and then I started actually going to church on my own and wanting to go and I'm taking notes and I'm like reading my notes and I was like oh my gosh this is like something that's really going to help me and, and so I was still fairly young 18 but I got baptized again um and this time I actually knew what I was doing <laughs> and um did it I think for the right reasons and since then I think I have grown in my relationship with God and him showing me who I am and even to this day I still am becoming more aware of who I who I am but 
where I am now is understand. I, I think it up till this point, I was understanding who I am separate from who he is. So the past several years, I would say the past two, maybe three years, what I'm becoming aware of now is who he is in me, right? Because God has created us to be his expression in the earth. That's what I truly believe now, as opposed to him being this separate being who's actually a part of us. <laughs> and so if he's in me and we're we're like we have a relationship, like we are we're one, it's like a union. And so now that I'm coming into that awareness, there's a whole other ball game I get to play. Now it's kind of like when we're talking about what gives me joy and we're talking about trusting the process, I kind of can't fail because I'm on his side. He's on my side. He's for me. And so when I understand that and that, and also that's where that grace comes in, he is the one giving me grace to fail or to make a mistake because he's going to pick me back up and I will be okay. And so, you know, as long as he's breathing breath in me, I got to try. You know, and so I don't hold myself back as much as I used to. I am going to try. Mm. And even with what I was saying earlier about launching the software company, started. Oh my God, the software company has got me in a whole other arena that I didn't know anything about. But it's scary. It's hard. It's tough. But I'm doing it right. I'm in a I'm in a tech space, and as technical as I can be. Um, it's it way over my head, right? And so I'm paying people to yeah. develop the software. I just know what I wanted to do. I just want to pay, pay yeah. attention to the fun part, you know? So, um, but my relationship with him has helped me become more confident and more competent even um, because he's got me, right? So I think that's a, that's where the fun comes in. Well, you know, I love that because truly when you step into the shoes that God made for you, your gifts, mm. your talents, the places that he's called you to, I think it is different because mm. most people are trying to wear the wrong shoes. They're trying wow. to be like someone else. And God says, no, I, I created you to be this way. This is the way I yeah. created you to be. And yet you're going over and you're pretending that you want to be this person. You want to do this thing over here. Yeah. Oh, you want to be a lawyer, but that's not what I created you for. And right. there's, there's a misery that comes along with that. I, I'm a firm believer that if we were to stop and actually teach children who they are mm. and concentrate on, okay, so who are you? Who are you mm. going to be today? This is who God created you to be. So as you go about your day, this is who I want you to focus on. And if we were to teach them that it wouldn't matter what they did because they would start operating in what they were called to do. Because when we operate from a place of being, the mm. doing comes automatically. The yeah. problem is, is that most of us, we operate in the doing and then we never, we we're like completely lost, right? We, we sell yeah. our souls yeah. uh, in order to do something that we were never created to do. Right. I love that about you, Lane, that you're stepping into these shoes. You're stepping into, you're always willing to take a challenge and to go yes. towards something new. Definitely be on the lookout for Lane Jones's program that's going to be coming out here uh, yes. in January. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Like if you wanted Lane Jones in a box, this would this would be what you would want. Like this is this is the Lane Jones that you want. This is the only Lane Jones that you can purchase. So if you want to purchase <laughs> a Lane Jones, go online, go to her website and you're going to be able to find where you can get a Lane Jones. No. <laughs> I love it. That's perfect. But you know, uh this has been so much fun, Lane. Like, I, I, I want to ask you one more question here. But before we do, I really do want to encourage everyone who's listening right now, go check out Lane Jones. Go, go look her up. You can find her on LinkedIn by searching the number one Jones Lane. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can search for her there with no spaces. Or you can also go to her website, which is the number one JonesLane.com. So go over there, head over there, check her out get connected with her. She has some really cool resources on her website. I, I wanted to go more into this today, but you know, just running out of time. She has these five step branding view blueprints uh, mm -hmm. that are spectacular. And because you've listened to her story, when you go back and you look at her website, everything that we've talked about today has to do with these five steps, yeah. vision, value, voice, the visual identity, 
creating the village, finding the village that's around you. Like yeah. this is, this is who she is. This is why mm -hmm. she's an expert in branding because she can take the values, the core values of an organization and she can put it out there in a place where people can see it and go, Oh, I, I get it. That's, that's yeah. who Lane Jones is. Yeah. So she's absolutely incredible at this. So I want to encourage you go over, check out Lane Jones. Lane, I truly have loved our time together today. And I want to, I want to finish too. out with a question that uh, I think is going to serve everyone really well. That's listening. I always like to talk about the, the focus of understanding who you are, because we really do live in a world where everyone is trying to do more and they're trying to have success. They're trying to earn more money. And, and like you said, even earlier, those things are important but they're not everything. Mm -hmm. And I think most people really do need to take the time to discover who they are. You tell clients very often uh, that it's better to be led by your purpose than to be driven by your fears. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious for yourself, what were some of the fears that drove you earlier in your career and how has your purpose allowed you to experience more than what you thought was possible? Wow. So this is good because I think if I had to define a, a fear, it's really anything that would hold you back. So in my career, I've had fear of failure often <laughs> when I've tried something new and, and didn't know if it was going to, to work. I've, I have had some issues with self-sabotage where I've talked myself out of doing something just because I, did, I was uncertain about the outcome. Um, and so there, there are times where I have let my own fears hold me back. Um, and then sometimes a fear can be when you do have the fear of the unknown, a, the fear could come in and says, that's not you know, for you. And so if you let something overwhelm you um, and talk, can convince you that it's not for you, um, the fear could, could hold you back in that way too. But I think one of the ways that I know I've learned to overcome fear is to rely more on my relationship with God. I have this mm -hmm. conversation with God often when I when something's in my way or, or I get overwhelmed. And I say, this is your fault. You made me this way. So you, you helped me, right? And so I blame him because he made me. And so, um, but when I lean on him in that way and things do get overwhelming, do feel a sense of fear or something holding me back. I lean into him even more because it's the faith that brings me back. And then I've learned this too over over uh, throughout life that the opposite of fear actually isn't faith. The opposite of fear is love, because the Bible says that perfect love casts out the fear. And so my love in my relationship with him. That's why I lean into him because he's my first love. And so I can go back to that love and that love that he has for me. And I know he doesn't want me to fail. I know he doesn't want me to be afraid. And he's not giving me a spirit of fear. And so when I rely on that love that he has for me and him, I can stop being as afraid. Here's the thing. Fear is going to come, but you, it can't stop you. Doing it anyway in the midst of the fear, that's when you know you won the game. And so I think that's where it is, is, is having that perfect love and understanding that relationship with him that casts out the fear or at least minimizes it enough to keep going. Um, and that's yeah. where, where having an understanding of who he is and having faith in God um, has helped me. Wow. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, I could not even ask you to say something even better. Like it, that, it's just so good because truly like purpose wise of being, of being driven by the understanding that you're loved. And it's, mm -hmm. I, I love that you say that, that, you know, the opposite of fear is, is actually love. And yeah. if you want to expose fear in your life, focus on the love in your life, because yeah. even, even if you're not a person of faith, there are people in your life that love you, that care about you. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people don't hear that often enough that they are loved. I love telling yeah. people that I love them. Every one of us deserves to hear that we're loved and that yeah. we'll be supported as we go through different trials of life. And so I think that's absolutely fantastic that you say that, man, it's, it's so good. Lane, I really appreciate you coming on the show. You've added sure. such a tremendous amount of value to everyone who's listening today. To all of you who are out there, please like, subscribe to the podcast, share this episode with someone who needs to hear 
the incredible words that Lane Jones just spoke on this podcast. There are so many people that are trying to get a vision for their life. They're trying to move forward. They need to hear that they're loved. And you're going to want to re-listen to this a number of times. It, it really is that good. Until next time, be more, see more, and experience more together.